For those of you who know me well, or have almost ever heard me preach at all, you know there are a few places in this country that I just don't appreciate. I'm not going to sully the good name of this sermon by mentioning those places one more time. You can ask me afterwards if you want to have a conversation about it, but there's another, there's another place that's starting to become reputable in my mind as a place where I just don't want to go. It's a place in Florida. It's actually a three-county-wide section of Florida where, for whatever reason, the ground is not very stable. It's actually been known to swallow houses whole. The place is called Sinkhole Alley, and I don't want to go there. <laughs> we like to think of our homes as a stable place. We like to think of our homes as a place where we go for refuge. There's safety there. We have nothing to worry about in our homes. But as you start to think about a place like this, physically speaking, your home is in great danger if it's in one of these places where sinkholes can just pop up out of nowhere. Imagine if you're just sitting in your house, enjoying Saturday morning cartoons in your pajamas with your family when all of a sudden the floor beneath you in some biblical sense like opens up and starts swallow. I mean, that's frightening to think about. Our homes, though, should be a stable place and should be a safe place. But what, what really makes our homes a stable and safe place? What is the bedrock on which a, a well-established home is built? And we started a series of lessons last month that I called Training Wheels. And it's basically, as we looked in that lesson from Proverbs 22, verse 6, we're, we're talking about parenting. We're talking about God's instruction for parenting. And just an asterisk here on this lesson and this whole series of lessons, really. You know, I think it's important for us to be able to stand on what God says about something and not what my experience is with something. Because if it were up to me and I were to preach on all the things that I had good positive experience with, I'm not sure I could preach on very much. I, I think there would be a lot of things that I would not be able to preach on because I didn't have the kind of experience with it. And you might say, well, Brian, you, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, you have a 10-year-old daughter and she doesn't really, you know, qualify as somebody who, who might fit the bill of all kinds of issues and troubles that someone might might need to talk about in parenting and might need to, to coach people through. Well, well, you're absolutely right. But this book says everything I need to know about parenting. Amen? And if we can go to this book, we can understand how we should pattern our lives. And that's what I hope this series is. That's what I hope this investigation together is. Because we need to build stable homes. And where does that start? What is the bedrock on which we build? And here in Psalm 127, verse 1, I think the psalmist sums it up very nicely. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless it's God that establishes the home, unless he's the one who dictates how everything is supposed to go, then no matter how much work I might invest in it, I'm just grasping after the wind. I, it's all vanity if I'm not following after the Lord God and my plans to build the house. So as we investigate stable foundations, 
as we think about building stable foundations for our home, really we're letting God build the home. We're letting God establish the pattern on which we build. He is the architect, he is the designer, he is the maker, and we were the workers. And we pattern our lives, we pattern our homes after what God has told us, what he's commanded us. And so let's investigate a couple of things this morning that help us build stable foundations in our homes. And we're talking about parenting in this series, but you'll notice that this first lesson really has very little to do with parenting because a stable family starts before the kids ever come. When parents follow God's pattern for the home, a stable home starts well before the, the kids are, are ever a part of the mix. And I think that's important for us to get, and that's important for us to coach young married people and people who aren't even yet married, that there are some things that you need to be as a single person, as a couple. There are some things that you need to be that are going to set you up for that day when they cut the cord and hand you your, your first child. And we're going to talk about a few of those things this morning. We're going to look at the Bible's instructions for us in these things. And the first is marital stability. If we want to have a stable home, it starts by a husband and wife having a stable relationship. Before we can raise children, we need to have a stable relationship at home. The marriage covenant, the marriage covenant is God's foundation for a stable family. You go all the way back and you look at his design, you look at his plan, who did he put there in the garden? He put a man and a woman together. And they were called to do work. They were called to populate the earth and all the things that they were supposed to do. God's plan from the very beginning was unity between a husband and a wife. And we need to have reverence for that kind of unity. Of course, Jesus, as he would talk about in Matthew chapter 19, we obviously go to this passage quite often talking about divorce, and rightly so, because that that's really the big question that is being asked of Jesus. But in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 6, Jesus reiterates the law. He says, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. A husband and a wife need to have a certain amount of reverence for the kind of unity that God has created because God has joined them together. I think it's easy for us in a marriage to think that we created the marriage, right? I was Twitter-pated over my wife, and she just thought I was the, the coolest guy, and we got together, and, and we created the marriage, right? Maybe it's easy for us to think that, that the preacher who married us, he's the one who created the marriage. But it's none of those things. It's God who created the marriage, God who defined the marriage, God who established the marriage, who taught us what marriage even was. And God is the one who says, let not man separate what I have joined together. We need to take that very seriously. And as the, as the disciples did here, as they heard Jesus' words, they said later on in verse 10, if such is the case... We, uh, in, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. They got the point, didn't they? 
They got the point of Jesus saying, this is very, very serious. And a husband and wife need to have that kind of reverence for the unity that God has created. That is, bar none, the first thing we need to have in a, in a marriage, in a home, we need to have a stable relationship between the husband and the wife. Because we understand very clearly that fighting and unfaithfulness weaken the foundation of our family. Fighting and unfaithfulness basically are those sinkholes that form underneath the foundation of your home. You cannot have a stable home if you're always bickering about things, if you're just always trying to get your way, if you're always trying to prove your point, or if you're straying and going off into other relationships. Of course, the Bible has a lot to say about this kind of promiscuous nature, and God specifically had issue with his children, the Israelites, in Malachi 2, verses 14 to 16, when he says, the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion, your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. He's going back to the original, right? He's going back to the original plan. God wanted unity with you and your wife, and he was seeking godly offspring. Now, of course, you could think of a lot of caveats to this verse. You could think a lot of asterisks, a lot of, a lot of relationships where maybe it was just a, a faithful husband alone or a faithful wife alone. Maybe you could think of, of a case where a husband and a wife can't have children and so they can't have offspring. But if you go back to the original plan, it was God's intention that a, a husband would be faithful to his wife and they would have children. But Israel was unfaithful. There was rampant divorce going on. And so the next verse continues. So guard yourself in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. It is like what God has joined together. You are ripping apart by unfaithfulness, by fighting, by the constant bickering that happens in some marriages. And if that is the, the baseline of your relationship, do you think when the kids come that they're going to have a stable place to grow up? If they're always listening to mom and dad fighting about everything, it's, that's not a good starting point for your kids. And so God took this very seriously. We should take this very seriously. But it's all about love and respect. I love the verse in Ephesians 5. I love how Paul is really comparing Christ and the church with the husband and the wife relationship. And he talks about how the husband is supposed to love their wives and wives are supposed to respect their husbands. And that mutual love and respect is at the core of what a husband and a wife are all about. It's what their bond, what their unity is built on, their love and respect for each other. And so we need to just figure this out. I know we're talking about a whole series on parenting. We could have a whole series on marriage, right? I mean, it, there's a lot to cover here. There's a lot we could unpack here. But if we just roll back and kind of take a 30,000-foot view of this thing, a marriage is the starting point for the home. 
A marriage is the starting point for children to come into the picture and thrive. And for a united mother and father to teach them about God. That's where it starts. And you can all think about cases where that may not have been your experience. You can all think about cases where you know of people who who still thrived even though they weren't in good situations, weren't in good conditions. And of course, 100%, you know, we know a whole lot about Timothy's mother and grandmother, don't know a whole lot about his dad, it's never really mentioned there in the scripture, and so you might get the sense there that, well, he overcame the odds, potentially. If his father was an unbeliever, we, we just don't know. If his father wasn't around, maybe he was a deadbeat dad, who knows? It's all speculation at this point, but... We do understand that this is God's plan. This is where it all starts. I like to think about this. You ever watch those shows where they do the home remodels? And you, you know, there's a bazillion of these shows around, I think. They're, they're on every channel, I think, now. But you know what happens, right? They're, they're doing the de- demo day and the remodeling and everything like that. And right before they do the reveal, what do they do? They show them running around like fluffing pillows and you know, they like pushing in chairs and like they're staging the house, right? So that when they walk the, the new customer through, they're just, you know, amazed at all the, all the fine touches and fine details that go on. You know what you never see when they're fluffing the pillows and when they're pushing in the chairs? You never see the trash can, right? You never see the, the, the mom who's exhausted after a, a hard day with the kids laying on the couch, right? You never see like the the Kleenex like just strewn all over the coffee table because someone was sick, right? You never see the, the, the day-to-day normal parts of life when they're zhuzhing everything and sprucing it all up for you to see. And we need to understand that, that God's design is perfection. His design for the home is perfection. And we have to learn how to live it. And that's really, I guess, kind of my my encouragement for you, how are you fostering stability in your relationship at home? How are you as a husband or a wife, how are you fostering stability? It's really tempting to say, well, you know, my home life would be just amazing if my spouse did X, Y, or Z, right? And you could easily say, well, it's, it's their responsibility, they're the ones who need to change, but how can you foster stability in your relationship at home? So marital stability, I guess, is the first point here, but let's move on. We also need to be devoted to God. I love this point. I think this is a a great thing for us to focus on, our devotion to God. As As a family, as a home, we are devoted to God. We're devoted to his worship, to his service. Worship isn't just something that we do as a family. It is who we are. Worship is who we are. It's not just something that that we put on or we start to do whenever we find out that we're pregnant, right? Or that the kids are going to come. Then we say, oh, well, now I need to worship. Now I need to become an integral part of the church. You should have been that way the entire time. We are just about devotion to God. That is who we are. It is not a performative act so our kids can see how much we love to be at church. It's just who we are. And I think we need to get that even before the kids come. We need to be the kind of people who are devoted to God. Let God build your house. 
as you fear him. Again, you go back to those verses in Psalm 127 and 128. Psalm 127 continues there. He says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. God builds the house. God brings all of the goodness and blessing into the home. It's God who blesses the home. It's all about God. God is the one who, who started the home. He's the one who blesses the home. And in a parallel psalm, in the next psalm, Psalm 128, verses 1 to 2, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. He goes on there in that psalm to talk about how our wives and how our children will bless our homes with fruitfulness. And it's just amazing the picture of the home that we see in those two psalms, how God builds it. He blesses it. You know, if we want to go out and we want to find a, you know, how to, how to be a good parent book or how to be a good spouse book, I mean, there's tons of books out there about teaching you how to do these things. But it is God who builds the home. So shouldn't it be God that we make this all about? It's devotion to God. It's dedication to God. It's fearing the Lord. And if we fear the Lord, if we let the Lord build the house, then he's going to bless us. And that's an amazing thing for us to remember. It's an important thing for us to remember because I think maybe sometimes it's easy for us to, to build the house by just kind of doing it selfishly. All I want to do this, this is where I want to go, this is how I want to, to design things in my home. Or maybe we let the calendar or time and chance direct our home. Maybe we just let whatever the next thing on the horizon is lead us in that direction. But we need to let God build the home. And we need to be dedicated and devoted to his plans for our home. But then we need to make worshiping God and honoring him the norm, right? I love how we just got done reading in Luke 2 about Jesus' parents. And we don't talk about Mary and Joseph a whole lot, I think. But especially when it comes to parenting and thinking about parenting, do you know how devoted they were to God? You see that when you were reading together with us this, this last couple weeks. You see how devoted they were to God. In, in Luke chapter 2, verse 41 specifically, we find out that his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. They didn't just go occasionally. They didn't just go whenever they felt like it. They went every year. Now, of course, Jesus grew up in a home where mom and dad loved God. Mom and dad loved worship. Would Jesus have turned out to be the perfect son of God if he had grown up in a home where that wasn't the case? I firmly believe that. I firmly believe Jesus would have, would have grown up into the man he was without his mother and father being that way. But isn't it amazing that he grew up in a home where not only he loved God and was a servant of God, but his mom and dad were too. His mom and dad loved to worship. They loved to serve. This was just who they were. Even if you think before Jesus' birth, at Mary's great song of praise, when she found out about 
her pregnancy and just the beautiful words that she sung and spoke there, those were not the kinds of words that would come from someone unfamiliar with worship. She was very familiar with worshiping God and honoring him. And so, so was dad. And it's, it's something we need to be about in our homes. You know, it's not just what we do. It's not like soccer or it's not like art classes or piano lessons or whatever. It's not just somewhere we go, somewhere we fill our time with. It is who we are. Worship to God, singing songs of praise, praying, reading our Bibles, thinking about God's word together, talking about God's word together. It's just who we are as parents. And then we need to live sacrificially with our time and our resources. We need to be the kinds of people who, who give of ourselves, who commit ourselves to the work who get involved, who help out when necessary. And of course, we see mom and dad, Jesus' mother and father, doing that as well there in Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 24, as they go and, and go into the temple and offer their sacrifices. They, they were poor. We understand that from the context and, and the offering that they gave. Mary and Joseph were poor, but that didn't keep them from giving. Right? That didn't, that didn't keep them from worship and honoring the Lord their God. They gave whatever they could in their worship to God. And so together, I think, as we, as we think about having kids, as we think about our marriages, as we think about building a stable home, is glorifying God the heart and soul of your family too. If you could, if you could step back and, and answer this question, what is the heart and soul of your family if it's not worship to God? If it's not glorifying God, what is the the heart and soul of your family. Are you a, are you a camping family? You know, are you a, a sports family? Are you a race car driving family? I, you know, I don't know, whatever family you, you might be. If you're not a glorifying God family, first and foremost, what are you? I hope we're all glorifying God families. I hope we're all the kind of people who just worship and honor the Lord as our natural response. And so, devotion to God is another thing that we need to be focused on. And finally, the last point here is integrity. And there's a lot of other things that I think we need to put in place and have the kind of people we need to be before the kids ever come. But I think integrity is a huge one. Integrity is a huge one because we're inviting a handful, potentially, of little human beings who have eyeballs and ears and are going to observe every little thing we do and every little thing we say. And we need to be the kind of people who have integrity in what we say, in our reliability, in the promises we make, and we are not going to change that overnight. We need to be those kinds of people well before the kids ever come. And so integrity reinforces our kids' structural support system. When we say true things, when we say reliable things, count onable things, our kids build their trust in us little by little by little to the point where we could tell them the sky is green or pink or silver and they would believe us because they just know that that's, that's the kind of people we are. We tell the truth. Of course, we wouldn't say such silly things to them because we know that that's not true. But we need to be the kind of people who have integrity in what we say. 
You know, it was interesting, there was a, a building in Manhattan that they had spent a whole lot of time building, and it was one of the tallest buildings in the world at the time. And they were so proud of the building when they, when they dedicated it. And a college student started researching the building and realized, you know, if there's a wind that's strong enough in Manhattan, that thing is going down. And this little lowly college student called up the architect of the building and said, by the way, I want you to know that your building is going to fall down. And he's like, huh, oh, no way. My building's not falling down. And you know, that little nagging thought in the back of his mind kind of sat there for a while. And William Lemassurier decides to look into it and realize that the Citigroup Center, the 59-story building in Manhattan that he built, definitely would have fallen down in the wind. And you know why? Because as they were building, his design was for strong welded joints at all of the, the steel beams. But somewhere along the way, somebody replaced those steel bolt or steel weldings with bolts, cheaper, fragile bolts, just to save money, to cut some corners. And so they had to go about in the middle of the night, like replacing all of those bolts with welded joints. And what God has done is he's given us his book and said, this is the pattern I want you to use. And when we replace this thing with our thing and his thing with, with the thing that's more comfortable for us, over time, we weaken the integrity of what God has built. You getting the point? When God tells us to say true things and we decide to say false things, that weakens the integrity of who we are. And so integrity as parents, little promises build trust, don't they? Little promises, little things that we say to our kids, just one by one, they build trust. If you think about the person who you trust more than anyone, was it because they swooped in one day and did one giant important act for you? Or like little by little, they, they constantly demonstrated that they, that they see you, they get you, they, they understand you, they, they're reliable. You know, that one time that they came and picked you up at the airport and they weren't like an hour and a half late. Oh, they showed up on time. Just a little thing, right? But even those little things finally start to build, build trust. Luke 16, verse 10, Jesus has some important things to say about these little moments that build trust. He says, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. Now, Jesus there is talking about how God views our response to his his commands, his rules. But don't you see the same principle there with our kids? Don't you see the same principle that if they see us being honest in very small things over and over and over again, that they'll trust us with the big things? It's just human relationships. And so we need to be the kind of people who keep our even small promises, just the little things that we say we'll do. We keep those promises. And look, none of us are perfect. Right? There have been plenty of times where Ashlyn and I have had the conversation. We've said, tonight, we're going to go have dessert. At AJ's, we're going to go hang out for the evening. And then it gets to that point, and something comes up, and it's like, I can't go tonight. I, I told you we would go, but we can't go tonight. And so I'll say, you know, this is still important to me. I understand that this is important to you but we can't go tonight. Is it okay if we, if we move it to another night? I'm so sorry. As opposed to just saying, Psh, whatever, it doesn't matter anyway. 
right? When I blow her off, do you think that's going to make a big impact on her? Absolutely, even if it's in a small thing in my mind. And so we need to take those little promises very seriously. And whatever it is that we say, we do. We need to be the kinds of people when we say yes, we mean yes. When we say no, we mean no. We need to be those kinds of people who, who we, we instill in other people the fact that they know exactly what we're going to do. They know how reliable we are. And so especially with kids, you know, when we, when we start to give rules and instructions, those kids need to know exactly what the consequences are going to be, right? And when, when they break the rules, when they fall short, they need to know exactly what we're going to do and how we're going to respond. We need to be those kinds of people well before the kids ever come because being a person of, of integrity doesn't happen overnight. And again, setting clear boundaries. We need to set these kind of clear boundaries ahead of time. In talking about how God views discipline and how he's given us fathers who discipline us and help us understand the kind of discipline that he gives, he tells us the importance of discipline. Discipline is important. Our kids need discipline, as we talked about in the last Training Wheels lesson from Proverbs 22, verse 6. Our kids need direction. Folly is bound up in the heart of the child, and our kids need to be reined in. But when we rein them in, they need to understand clearly what we're doing, clearly the rules we're making, and clearly what the consequences are. And so when, when we just cave and we buckle and we don't follow through and we aren't reliable in the promises that we make, they see that. They see how, oh, well, I guess it wasn't really important to, that I cleaned my room because I didn't get in trouble the way that Dad said it, he was going to get me in trouble. You know, when we buckle, when we cave, when we, when we just let them mow over us and our rules are just wishy-washy, does that really reflect the character of God's discipline? God absolutely does not do that. God does not treat us that way as our perfect father. So I think integrity is something that ahead of time we need to be super focused on. Do your kids see you as someone who always keeps your commitments? Because again, like I said, we have invited a whole host of little eyeballs and ears into our home, and they see every little part of our lives, don't they? They see, our, they see us at our best. They see us at our worst. They see us before we put our makeup on or if you wear makeup at all. They see us in all of those cases, right? And they know if we keep our commitments or not. Whether we acknowledge it, whether we see it, they see it. And so we need to be the kinds of people to build a stable foundation for our home that let our kids see that we are people who love each other in our homes, a husband and a wife who love each other and are stable in our marriage. We need to show them that God is the center of everything we do and that we tell the truth. Those are just three things that I think really set us up for a stable home. And in the next lesson, I want to talk about shepherding and shaping because the Bible has a lot to say about shepherding and shaping. And actually, we have a lot to learn from God, the perfect father himself, and from Jesus, the great discipler there in his ministry, about how to raise our own kids. And so on the next lesson, next month, that's where we're going, shepherding and shaping our kids. Thanks for your attention. Appreciate your, your thoughtfulness over this lesson. I know parenting is a big topic.
especially as we talk about marriage. Marriage is a big topic. All of these things are really important. And God loves us so much that he gave his own son for us. You think about parenting. You think about what that must have taken. What it must have taken for God to give his only begotten son for you. And if you're not a child of the Lord's yet this morning, if you haven't given your life to him in baptism, then we would love to help start you on that journey by baptizing you into water for the forgiveness of your sins. To take advantage of that great sacrifice that was made by God, the perfect father, giving his only son. Whatever your spiritual needs are this morning, please come as we stand and sing.